Hello and welcome. I'm Uri. And I'm Rifki, and you're listening to Talking Tachlis, the podcast where we talk about Jewish life and life in general. So Uri, as usual, we have to open with sports, the only thing that people care about. Um, and actually, Uri, what I wanted to do uh, to start off with is I wanted to read a Twitter thread, and this is by Dr. Rifka Press-Schwartz who's a principal at SAR. We've talked about her, SAR being the, the Jewish Orthodox school in Riverdale. Uh, we've talked about Dr. Schwartz a few times, and she uh, posted this tweet thread this morning that I thought was pretty interesting. And, you know, we don't have to dive too deeply into it, but I thought it was an interesting, it, it made me think more deeply about the, the mm-hmm. Jacob Steinmetz situation. Of course, as we talked about last week, Jacob Steinmetz was the first Orthodox Jew who was drafted into the into Major League Baseball. Actually, there's a second one. Also, right, we, yeah, we didn't say year. the second Orthodox Jew yeah. was a couple days later. Yeah, Pretty cool. but Jacob Steinmetz was the, was the first. So, I want I want to just read out loud excerpts from this, and I want to hear what you mm-hmm. think, and you know, give okay. something for our, for our listeners as well. So here's how it starts. This is a tough one, but I feel it strongly. Let's see if we can have a meaningful conversation. This is not a call out. I am not trying to criticize any one person or institution. I am noticing something in our community and asking that we think about it. Most institutions in the Orthodox community won't issue Mazel Tov announcements for gay engagements slash marriages. This is a source of great pain to LGBTQ members of our community and those who love them. And it is the source of alienation and dismay to young Orthodox Jews, who, like young people in every conservative religious denomination, depart significantly from their parents on LGBTQ issues. What do we say to our pained Orthodox LGBTQ sisters and brothers, to their families and friends, to our young Orthodox community members? We say some version of, I hear you, I feel the sense of alienation or unfairness, but the Torah slash halacha is very clear on this. The only way we have the slightest credibility that this is motivated by the demands of halacha, rather than the general squickiness with LGBTQ Jews and their relationships, is if this standard, which is I feel for you but halacha does not allow this, is applied universally. A young man from the modern Orthodox community with deep ties to mainstream centrist institutions was drafted by the MLB. He keeps kosher, walks to the baseball stadium, and pitches on Shabbos. This is not about criticizing him or his family, and I will do my best to yeet anyone who does. She's so good at social media. No from shaming. We all make our own choices and decisions. But it is, let's say fairly, not consistent with mainstream halakhic positions about the laws of Shabbat. His parents are members of a mainstream centrist Orthodox shul. The shul sent out a Mazel Tov announcement. Again, I'm not trying to blame or criticize the shul. That is not the point here. I am trying to have a reasoned discussion. On Twitter, Rivka, what's the matter with you? I cannot imagine that the shul would have sent out a Mazel Tov announcement for a gay marriage. If I'm wrong about the facts of any of this, I welcome the corrective. But please, from reply, guys, don't come out to explain to me why pitching on Shabbos at Derabanan, gay marriage at Deraisa, whatever else you want to tell me I'm wrong about. If the issue is the communal celebration of non-halachic behavior, we should be applying it across the board. And if we're not, even when very serious halachic issues are implicated, and keeping Shabbos is way up there, then we need to ask ourselves, what's really going on? This is not a call for Orthodox institutions making gay engagement or wedding announcements. It's a call for us to be honest about what is motivating us, rigorous in our application of principles, and willing to self-scrutinize about what principles we bend, and when, and for whom. If this is halachic principle, it should be halachic principle across the board. Uri, I'm curious. When I read that, it really struck me. But I'm curious to hear what you think about that, that tweet thread. Yeah, I think it's an interesting connection. I don't love it. 
I think her overall argument or point that um, people who are part of the community and are gay and get married should be uh, congratulated for their celebration. Whoa, she didn't say a, that. She didn't say should or shouldn't. She, she said okay. there should be consistency. It should be consistent. Okay. If okay. we do I mean, one, I, we should I, do I'm the assu- other. I'm if we don't do I'm one, we should right. do the other. Okay, fine. I'm assuming that she wants that. I'm just taking hmm. a wild assumption. Okay. Um, I think that argument works on its own and has validity on its own as an argument but i don't think the connection that she made while interesting and topical i don't think it's that relevant i think meaning you think that there's something wrong with the analogy or you think yes, it's not hypocritical I, yes the jacob the jacob okay. steinmetz thing i didn't know that the shul wished the mazel tov i think that is pretty interesting because i on the one hand i think any other orthodox shul i obviously don't know this for sure but i don't think a serious orthodox rabbi would say anything from the pulpit um, wishing Mazel Tov on that because the Shabbos thing I think did stand out to a lot of people as like a little bit shaky. Like, is, if he's saying he's Orthodox but he doesn't, but he pitches on Shabbos, like that's questionable. I don't, but that's not really the point. It's more he's being celebrated for his accomplishment. And if, for example, he was gay, the Mazel Tov would have been exactly the same because it's not about um, that. It's about like you could see you could criticize the the emphasis in our society on sports or whatever. But like it's a representation thing. People are thrilled Jews have always been obsessed with Jews in sports and here we have somebody from our community who went to a modern orthodox high school who got drafted so even if he wasn't keeping any halacha but he identified with that community he was from that community I think people would still be really excited they probably would still wish that mazel tov in, in their shul and so I think it's a totally different thing somebody getting married it's a cause for celebration but that's not necessarily a, an, an, an accomplishment a public accomplishment of representation of the community and I think that was really the issue here and so Wait, I'm sorry. I don't think I understand. Why do we wish people Mazel Tov on getting married? Why is that in any sort that, of that's, actual bulletin? We're celebrating with them. That's their personal celebration, and it's a communal celebration. This is yeah. This we're is celebrating not, something that they something that it feels like a step in their personal life, right? Like it feels right. like maybe accomplishments the wrong term because you don't you know practice and succeed in the same way like getting into college or you know. Entering the MLB, right? That feels like more of an accomplishment, quote unquote. But I'm not sure I understand how do you disagree with the analogy, right? If the analogy is there's something that I'm doing in my personal life that I'm really excited about, it's the next step forward in my career, in my any, anything like that. I'm saying why people are so excited about the baseball thing is just because somebody from our community is representing us almost, you know, so to speak, in a very um, high level that people care so, about. People care a lot about major league sports. If we, and that's what I'm saying. If he was gay, it would be people would be just as happy because people. It's not. That's not the issue. Right. Okay. So it sounds like what you're what you're saying is not. Oh, this is not inconsistent. You're you're saying it's not about consistent or not consistent. Maybe it's not consistent, but that's not why people are excited about it. People are excited about it because this has never happened before, and there's something that the community is kind of like feeling a positive representation in some way, and that's why we're excited. Yeah. People. Is it people consistent would be just or as not excited. Consistent? Yes, people would be just as excited if he was gay or not gay. People would also be just as excited, I think, if he totally didn't keep Shabbos, but he still, you know, identified with that community, maybe wore a kippah in public. You know, it's not about his specific halachic observance that people okay, are so condoning what or condemning. If, right, let's say in a few years, let's say Jacob Steinmetz is a, is a star, and he's just amazing, and he brings his team to the World Series, and the Game 7 of the World Series is on Yom Kippur, and he pitches, and he's not wearing a kippah, and then he, you know... Dr- Chugs Gatorade, you know, on no, TV. People sitting. would be I, upset, no, because... No, but yeah, I'm not saying would they yeah. be upset. I, I'm asking, 
would that be something that we would say, actually, the halakhic problems here push it over the top, that therefore we shouldn't celebrate it as a community? Or do you think that, no, we're just so excited about someone in sports, we're not actually thinking about the halakhic no, no, right no, now in the announcement? Pe- people, would, people would be upset about that, specifically because of the Sandy Koufax precedent, which also is, is part of the point I would like to make, which is that people talk about, rabbis, truthfully, talk about, maybe this would be a better example, talk about Sandy Koufax as such a huge Kiddush Hashem, um, sanctifying God's name because he didn't pitch on Yom Kippur. He did not, he was not orthodox by any stretch, but because of that one thing that he did, honoring Jewish tradition, he was totally celebrated because people are obsessed with sports and with athletes. So, you know what I mean? Like, that's even a, lo- a lower level. But, that, but if you're saying Steinmetz pitched on Yom Kippur, he wouldn't because if Sandy Koufax didn't pitch on Yom Kippur, no Jew uh, can, be, can pitch on Yom Kippur and be celebrated as a Jew. Whatever, I don't know. We don't have to get too into it. I, I think it's an interesting point. And, I, and I, like I said, I think her point works better on its own than, you, than like, you know, going on the coattails of this current story. But I hear the connection and it's interesting. I don't know why do you, do you think it's a good it's a good analogy? <laughs> yeah, to me, Ari, it feels like a very clear analogy. You know, like I, I'm not sure I even I, I didn't hear you disagree with the analogy. But you're right. We don't we don't have to dive too deeply into this. I don't but, disagree but, with it. I think it's just a bit of a stretch. All right, maybe I, maybe I'm just missing it. To me, it feels like a very apt analogy. But uh, as always, okay. we're going to have to come to a final decision by uh, by getting consensus from all of the listeners. Jacob grew up here at Hebrew Academy in the Five Towns, where oftentimes the Orthodox don't play sports games on the Sabbath. My family's okay with it. Um, there might be other families that, that wouldn't do it. But Jacob's family does keep kosher, and he does not travel to games on the Sabbath, which will be the biggest challenge moving forward, on foot mostly. I'll stay at a hotel nearby the field and walk to the games. Usually we try to keep it under a mile and a half, two miles. But he's certainly walked more in the past. So you'd walk three and a half, four miles to the game, then play a full Empire, game. yeah. Do you feel close to God when you're out on the mound? <laughs> yeah, def- definitely do. He hopes others in his community will see him as a trailblazer. See that it's possible to be able to say to your religion and also play high-level baseball at the same time. And for those who think baseball is religion, for Jacob, the future could be twice as nice. In Woodmere, I'm Stacey Sager, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. So also before diving into today's main episode, we have to mention what is on everyone's mind. And that's honestly two things. It's my unorthodox life, and it's Ben and Jerry's recent decision mm-hmm. to stop selling in the West Bank. Both of which yep. are crazy Not the West topics Bank. In and Not of the West Bank. Occupied oh, sorry, Palestinian territory. Okay, you're right, you're right, you're right. I mean, I'm fine if that's what we're calling it from now on. Is that what you want to do, Eric? Oh, yeah. Really? <laughs> well, yeah, no, that was part of what really upset me about this statement. They, you know, it'd be one thing if, well, so the, the statement was from Ben and Jerry's ice cream company. Uh, and they said they will, Ben and Jerry's will end sales of our ice cream in the occupied Palestinian territory. And then they had a little statement uh, elaborating on that. Um, so, Uri, it sounds res- like you weren't yeah. thrilled with it. But uh, very quickly, I would love to hear your, your little pitch. Why does this upset you so much? And I'm not saying it shouldn't. I just want to hear your perspective. Um, I, I wouldn't say it upsets me so much. I don't really care okay. that much. And oh. I remember, I don't remember, the, I remember Ben and Jerry's has been an issue before with Israel. I think they've gone back and forth and they've talked about doing this in the past. I thought they actually did it in the past where they weren't going to sell in the territories. Um, I, I don't remember exactly. And I, I tried to look into it. I couldn't find anything. But um, uh, we should also yeah, add, actually, like, Ben and Jerry, as far as I remember, the, the two men who started this company, they're both Jewish, right? 
Yeah, they're just definitely one of them both Jewish? Jewish. They're both like Bernie Sanders types. Um, they're from Vermont. Oh, they're from Vermont, crunchy. They're from Vermont, yeah. they're communist. Um, I just so, looked it up. Jerry Greenfield and Ben Cohen. Sounds pretty Jewish. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, I'm pretty sure they're Jewish. So um, I, I di- especially didn't like the title of where they, they didn't call it the West Bank they, or even the Occupied Territory, Occupied Palestinian Territory, which is like very deliberate and extreme, I would say, language um, taken right out of the, you know, I don't know, uh, anti-Israel BDS um, playbook. Uh, so I don't like that part of it. There have been a lot of pushbacks, which I think is funny and why not, of like all these Jewish and kosher stores around the world now saying that they're not going to supply or sell Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And then the and then the addition to that was that all these places in Israel are saying, actually, you have to still buy Ben and Jerry's in Israel proper because there's a, an Israeli Jewish guy who owns the rights to sell Ben and Jerry's. And he refused to stop selling the territory. So he's losing his license in 2022. And therefore, up until he loses his license, everyone in Israel has to buy Ben and Jerry's to support him, but everyone outside of Israel has to buy haagen so as not to support Ben and Jerry's. I think it's fine. I'm, I'm fine uh, boycotting Ben and Jerry's. I think they're just jumping on the band- bandwagon like so many other corporations. They're actually owned by Unilever, but apparently Wait, Ben so, and Jerry's so still you, have... so you think you're going to boycott Ben and Jerry's from this? Yeah, because it's easy. I, I'm not a big ice cream eater in the first place, but like, why not? Uh, they did something that I don't like, so why not eat something else? You know? Okay, sure. I, I'm wondering. Do you remember a few years ago when Airbnb decided to stop listing right yeah. in the mm-hmm. in the in the occupied That's harder because Airbnb doesn't have a doesn't right. have a good alternative. Uh huh. So you're saying that hushkafically or philosophically, you think of them as the same thing, but Airbnb. Well, I think it's just very silly. So you know what? Feel- Some- yeah, yeah. Friend of the ahead. show, D- friend of the show, Dina made a very interesting point. Asked the question, <laughs> which was, um, "What about?" Wait, I, what I about- just need to say explicitly <laughs> for our listeners that Dina is Uri's wife. So yes, she is yeah, a friend of the show. She is my though. wife. <laughs> but she had a great question that was like, "Wow, that's really good." She was like, "What about in Palestinian cities in the West Bank? What about in Gaza? Yeah. That's pa- occupied Palestinian territory, but are now Palestinians no longer able to enjoy Ben and Jerry's in order to punish right. the Jews, or is it being sold in the Palestinian bodegas?" but not in Jewish bodegas. Right, one of the things that I read was, yeah, one of the things that I read that was kind of interesting is that Israelis, who it's very easy for Israelis in the West Bank to very quickly drive over the green line and buy Mm. ice cream in, you know, regular, whatever you want to call Israel, but Palestinians who live in the West Bank are not actually able to do that. In in some ways it is. Um, I understand why hushkafically. And just last week, right, we talked about, um, we talked about apartheid, we talked about what a boycott is and does, we talked about Paul Simon, in you know South Africa, so I think it's kind of interesting thinking about who does this fundamentally ultimately punish, and do you do it mm-hmm. anyway because there's a larger statement and you're hoping to make you know kind of a, a big change here. I also want to add that the official account of the Palestinian BDS National Committee, which is like the Palestinian leadership basically of BDS, basically said. And I'll just quote it. Following years of BDS campaigns, Ben and Jerry's has announced it will end sales of its ice cream in Israel's illegal settlements on stolen Palestinian land. We warmly welcome their decision, but call on Ben and Jerry's to end all operations in apartheid Israel. So they're mm, basically saying yeah. like, yeah, it's a good win. start. It's a good start. Yeah, he, with the social justice wars, you can't win. And that's, not, it's, that's another thing that bothers me. Well, no, no, no. no. I, don't th- I don't I, I It's what I find. I find there's something very principled from Ben and Jerry's here to say, no, look, well, we're not saying that yeah. Israel is evil. We're not saying that Israel should end. We a problem with the 
occupy territories. Which, yeah, right? well, this is the first we step. Let's see what the they West do next. Bank. Let's see in a few years. Yeah, let's sure, see but I, are, it could be. But to me, this 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 seems like actually really not the worst thing in the world. Like I, I mean, I, I don't. Think I'm just saying philosophically. World. Right. Yeah. I'm not arguing right. against you. I'm talking about the 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 outcry. It's not the same thing as BDS, because as you're saying, BDS would be boycotting all of Israel. Like I said, let's see what happens in a little bit. I'm, I'm, I feel like that's the path they're going down. It also just bothers me in the same way that it bothers me anytime a big corporation makes, uh, you know, uh, virtue signals and says how woke they are by, by latching on to the, the cause of the day or of the minute. And uh, as if they really care about that cause more than their profits, which is hard to believe. So right. that's well, Ben and Jerry's does have a, does have a history of being involved in many social causes. There are a lot of countries that they choose not to sell in, and they make that active choice, right? Ben right. And I actually looked up. Sell. I wanted to. I wanted to. Yeah, for this for this conversation, I wanted to oh. call them out and say, "Hey, but they still sell in China. They still sell in Russia, but they actually don't." Right. They <laughs> don't. Yeah. Exactly. So that's what is kind of interesting about Ben and Jerry's that it feels like it does feel like part of a larger pattern as opposed to the woke signaling that so Maybe. many other. Uh, companies do. Um, I do think it's part of the, the interesting discussion is this constant conversation of, well, BDS is inherently anti-Semitic and uh, boycotting, whether it's a West Bank or whether it's Israel entirely, is anti-Semitic. And Ben and Jerry's talk about their Judaism, or uh, I'm not sure how often, but it is something that many of us, we, we think of it, we, we associate them with Judaism in a lot of ways. Um, do you, do you still do you feel like it? This is an anti-Semitic choice, or maybe it's part of an anti-Semitic uh, ecosystem. This goes and to so many of our it, discussions. You know? It's not. Yeah. I don't know. If we don't need to label it anti-Semitic, but this is, I think, in the category of people or of, of Jews um, who express their Jewish identity and and uh, connection to Israel solely by speaking out against Israel and criticizing Israel. I'd like to see something positive about Israel or Judaism that Ben and Jerry said or did, and then I would maybe have a little bit more respect for a decision like this. Well, Uri, it's a good question. I mean, I have no idea. First of all, it doesn't say that they're they're saying Dafka as Jews, we feel right, the need to do Jews, you know this thing. And I have no idea if they it. talk yeah. about Judaism at all. Like, I I have no idea if that's kind of like part of sure. the, the way that they're thinking about things. Right? Mm-hmm. Me neither. Uh, but either way, it's definitely interesting. I I have a lot of Ben and Jerry's in my freezer right now. It's its own discussion because I'm really trying not to eat as much ice cream as I do, unfortunately. Mm. But you know, I'm, so this might I'm, be a good way to, to cut back. Also, the, it, it, the saddest part is that they, you know, we talk so much about fish, one, one of the greatest bands of all time. Mm. And um, <laughs> Ben and Jerry's has a, has a fish food flavor. And so they're on target for so many things. They really get it when it comes to music and, and a lot <laughs> of other things. But uh, I guess with Israel and politics, maybe not. The U.S. ice cream maker Ben and Jerry's went into, well, meltdown today. That's after Ben and Jerry's put out this statement. We believe it is inconsistent with our values for Ben and Jerry's ice cream to be sold in the occupied Palestinian territory. As always, want to hear from, from all of you about this topic because it is particularly interesting and it's definitely going to keep, uh, going to keep being in our collective consciousness. Actually, speaking of what we brought up earlier, my unorthodox life and Ben and Jerry's both. Um, but it, it, did you see all these, uh, there's these memes that about how Jewish social media basically was all about my unorthodox life. And as soon as this Ben and Jerry's news came yeah. out, it completely <laughs> shifted towards Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. No one's on. I mean, uh, Uri, I'm, I'm only a few episodes in. No spoilers, obviously. But uh, what do you what do you think so far of my unorthodox my life? My unorthodox life. Well, I think we should get to our main topic. I think yeah. my unorthodox life actually might connect a little bit to our main topic. And then we also hope to have an entire episode about my own orthodox life. So I think we could save it for then, but, but it might come up, I think, in today's discussion. So why don't, we, why don't we jump into that, if that's cool. Okay, perfect. Over the last number of years, social media has become an integral part of everyday life for so many of us. 
And while there has always been criticism of it, it feels like in the last few years, some of these criticisms have picked up a lot of momentum. Facebook, the world's biggest social media platform, has received the brunt of this criticism, and its founder, Mark Zuckerberg, is seen as ultimately responsible for Facebook's perceived sins. A new book by Shira Frankel and Cecilia Kang called An Ugly Truth, Inside Facebook's Battle for Domination, details a lot of these accusations. For today's conversation, we're going to use a recent review of the book in the forward as a jumping-off point. The review is written by Dan Friedman, and his article is titled How Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg Created History's Most Dangerous Golem. Here are the first couple of paragraphs of the article. It should be a great Jewish-American success story, perhaps the greatest. Mark, Jewish son of a psychiatrist and a dentist, has a vision of how to harness technology to connect people. Cheryl, daughter of a college French teacher and an ophthalmologist, has the people skills and business acumen to build it to a massive scale. Soon, in one of the greatest Jewish business partnerships in American history, in world history, they have connected billions of people through their Facebook. Indeed, in many countries, there is no significant distinction between Facebook and the internet. Their business is worth more than a trillion dollars, with an annual revenue of nearly a hundred billion dollars. And there are more people in touch across the globe on their networks, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, than were alive when either of them were born. And yet, it's an American tragedy. Even before An Ugly Truth by Cecilia Kang and Shira Frankel, it was clear that Mark Zuckerberg's online machine, grown to gigantic proportions by Sheryl Sandberg, had staggered blindly. Like a golem created by a careless yeshiva boy, it has careened out of control, its phenomenally powerful limbs serving all manner of hateful masters. Instead of protecting the vulnerable, it has promoted genocide in Myanmar, pogroms in India, and deadly anti-vaxxer misinformation across the world, as well as almost certainly tipping the 2016 American general election and the 2016 Brexit vote. So, Rivki, first of all, I appreciate, uh, just on an entertainment level, all those Jewish connections and turning this into a Jewish story when it didn't really have to be. But aside from that, what do we think of these accusations? Are they fair? Is it Facebook's fault if their platform is used for hate and misinformation? What are Facebook's responsibilities, and should it even exist? And finally, do Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg's Judaism have anything to do with this story? Well, that feels like the easiest one. (laughs) (laughs) Because I I, I appreciate it because I think it's funny. But as I was reading about the the Golem, I was laughing because I was like, this is clearly, you know, a a stretch. You know, obviously we have have some Jewish writers here, right? Shira Frankel is Jewish. We have... Uh, Jews involved in the creation of Facebook, right? Mark Zuckerberg, obviously, and then Sheryl Sandberg, who helped kind of like with its explosive popularity. Um, but this is not really a Jewish story, but that's okay. Who cares? It's well, the forward. Yeah, it's they the should forward. make it connect. So the, yeah. it, Just like us. Yeah, we actually got, a, you know, somebody gave us feedback last week when we talked about In the Heights, friend of the show, Rachel, and she pointed out how we were like putting a magnifying glass on like the Jewish aspects that weren't really the main, shouldn't really be the main point of the story. And I, and I concurred, like, we're talking about the Jewish part and the Jewish perspective because that's that's our thing, but it doesn't mean that it's the, really the the essential, most important um, right. element going on here. Right, but but fundamentally, all of these questions, the way that the way that I think about this, and maybe this is kind of like a, a boring answer, but like, are these accusations fair? Kind of. Is it Facebook's fault? Sure, it's the, you know, fault is never you know zero sum game. So Facebook has some responsibility. So do all of the individual users who know about what's going on and continue to use it, like all of us. Um, 
So obviously are the people who are spreading hate and misinformation who either have not done due diligence and don't realize they're spreading misinformation or no, but do it anyway for the ad dollars and, you know, all these other reasons, which is obviously more malicious and more problematic, but there's fault everywhere. What are Facebook's responsibilities? That's a trickier question. I do not feel equipped to kind of have a sense of what Facebook should be doing, right? Like, I, mm-hmm. I, that is not the direction I feel confident in. But I, yeah. I don't know. I just, I feel like... There are a lot of sucky things in this world, and I think there's a lot of blame that can go around. I don't know. Or what do you think? Okay. Well, maybe we can d- delve a little bit deeper and maybe <laughs> discuss some of the fine-tuned things. Like, okay, should there be any censorship? What should be censored? To me, when I think of this topic, what bothers me about it is that I don't... I- I've always heard criticism of, of social media and Facebook, but more from the f- side of, like, it's intrusive, it's a time-waster... Um, it makes people feel bad about themselves. It's a mm-hmm. platform for narcissism, which connects to the my own orthodox life stuff. Where you know, what? That, I, I saw somebody write. Um, I'm not even sure if it was connected to that, but some, I saw somebody write this week that Facebook is basically uh, maybe it was in the um, research for this discussion. It's Facebook is like everyone's own personal reality show, and I think that in itself is a negative thing for society where people Wait, what, are what do you mean by that because people are broadcasting like what they had for breakfast and and all their activities and all how much fun they're having and whatever to the world in many ways to kind of brag and show off not obviously not that's not all it is but there is that element to it which i think is just not good for empathy to other people for i don't think that's the best way for people to be connecting that's a separate thing and we can get more into that or maybe when we talk about my orthodox life we can talk about the narcissism and the selfishness of like reality tv and that whole uh, phenomenon but the, i i didn't I, I don't think and correct me if i'm wrong i haven't seen the real mainstream heavy criticism of facebook f- um from this kind of perspective before 2016 i think even though this the author here writes about a few examples of where facebook has messed up i think the real thing that caused most people in america or certain people in america to really care was after donald trump won the 2016 election and democrats were flabbergasted and dumbfounded and they basically said this could not have happened this is not possible we have to blame somebody, and they blamed Facebook, among maybe some other things. But they blamed Facebook in a way that was has not shown to be accurate. I, I was reading a, a, an article from Commentary Magazine that we'll include a link to, but the, the journal Science Advances um, looked into this with researchers at Princeton and, and NYU, and they found that fewer than 9% of Americans shared fake news links during the election, um, which is what people want to say, tip the election to Donald Trump. But that's not the point. Um, the Wait, point I don't even I th- think that shows anything, right? It's not about how many people share it. I'm it's about sh- how many people see it. Okay, I, I, I don't know what... I, I think the point is to, to say to blame Facebook for the election, I think is a real stretch. Maybe, maybe yes, probably not. Um, but um, my point is that that's why that's when people started caring. They didn't care when Barack Obama extensively used Facebook and Facebook data in 2008 and 2012 um, to win the election. He actually was praised for that. And there was actually a huge um, expose. I don't know if you remember this, Rifki, Gizmodo um, in 2016, but in May 2016, so six months before the election, Gizmodo came out with a big report where they interviewed a bunch of former Facebook employees who worked on the trending news um, part of the Facebook page, um, and they reported and they admitted that as Facebook employees, they and the people around them were um, taking a piece of the 
Facebook algorithm that was supposed to be completely just um, organic and based on the algorithm of what's trending and show you what's trending. And they suppressed conservative news stories and they also promoted stories that weren't actually trending, but they wanted them to be trending. Sometimes things that, that were not necessarily political, like people weren't talking enough about Syria, they said. So they put in stuff about the Syrian civil war. But then things that were more controversial, like Black Lives Matter. People at Facebook said, how could we not have trending Black Lives Matter? We're going to get criticized for that. So they made it trending, even though it wasn't actually trending. And Black Lives Matter was actually started on Facebook. And then they fo- caused it to trend. And then people talked about how much it's trending. And that's what built up Black Lives that started so, on Facebook and not on Twitter. That's what I read. I could be right. It, start, it started on social media. I, I saw Facebook. Right. Maybe it was both. I don't know. Meaning, like, I think everything. Uh, anyway, so I think saying, I think the yeah. yeah I think sorry, people go, ahead, can, go ahead. So I think this book and this article that makes um, Mark Zuckerberg out to be the most evil person because basically, you know, they're they're, ta- they're saying the the killing in Myanmar and they're saying the anti-vax stuff, but I think they didn't really care about that stuff until Hillary lost the election in 2016. So that's why it's a little bit. Um, but why, why is that crazy? It's like people don't pay attention to things until something crazy happens, and then when something crazy happens to them, they because, think it's no, crazy. No, because the equally Suddenly crazy they start stuff was already happening. It. it just wasn't on their side. It wasn't hurting their cause. What now, was the making, crazy world event no, because, that happened? Like I said, Ob- I said Obama. No, used, I'm talking about a crazy um, world event. Obama won way more votes, so I don't think it felt as crazy okay. to people. But the <sighs> fact that, I, I, meaning, I'm not saying they, they I'm not aside, saying I'm it's right or wrong. I'm saying this, right. but what's the hypocrisy? That, is, that seems like exactly what happens, right? Something crazy no, happens, and people say, the what the Facebook heck is going on? I got to look more deeply into it. And then you look more deeply into it, and you're like, whoa, wait, wait, something really strange is actually going on. Because I don't think they care about the exact same um, transgressions when it doesn't hurt their political cause. And they actually want... Um, they would be happy for manipulation if it's if it suits their purposes. But that's not really my point. My point is, um, I don't think Facebook is to blame for this in the same way that when, when the printing press came out, people were really angry at that. They said this is going to be bad for the world because it's going to spread misinformation. It's going to, people are going to be reading books and have access to information. And we don't, for the, we don't want some of those people to have access to those books and information or whatever it is. The printing press is not good or evil. It's a platform. It's a, it's a, you know, and the same exact thing with Facebook. Should it be regulated? Sure. Is it their responsibility to censor every single post that comes out and make sure it fits? How you, who, it fits whose thing? You know, whose, whose standards is it going to fit? It's impossible. So, and so then people Uri, call Uri, for this I, know I'm, that it's impossible. I'm, I'm with you, you know, in, in a big sense, right? In a larger sense. I believe in free speech. I believe in giving people the freedom to make their mistakes, to figure things out for themselves. I hope the truth will rise to the top, all of those things. But are you saying it is 0% Facebook's responsibility or are you saying it's not 100%? Like, what's the well, argument you're making? I, I think they have... I think they have some responsibility and we can talk about what that might be. But also what I didn't say, the, the most obvious thing is nobody has to use Facebook. That's another, like these, these things, people talk about it as if like, um, you know, this is just a, th- it is just a reality, but nobody has to use it, which is also what bothers me about it is that the, it's so patronizing, like so many other things from a lot of sides, but mainly from the liberal side, they don't trust people. They're like, we're smarter than, than everybody else. So we know that they're gonna get confused. If they see an ad from a Russian hacker, that's gonna brainwash them and make them vote for Trump. Like as if people are that dumb that they can't think for themselves. They see an article on Facebook, that's gonna make them go kill somebody. That's gonna make them vote for Donald Trump as if they can't think for themselves, well, which I think um, is, is Just a- to clarify, the, the, the Myanmar story, right? Do you think yeah. that Facebook, you're saying that you think it, it would have been the exact same thing if it, if it hadn't been for Facebook? 
I don't know. I mean, I, I obviously, if Facebook was aware that it was being used um, to uh, get people I mean, to, to kill sorry, people. Sorry, let me, let me clarify. I'm saying I don't know that it's Facebook's fault, quote unquote. But I do think that there were people who were killed because of misinformation that they saw on Facebook. Right? Like, I think that yeah. part feels uh, right. accurate. So yes, to say, like, I oh, people are so they dumb, they're going to pick up guns and kill. Like, yeah, they, they literally no, did it. Well, it's awful and it's tragic. And I don't know what you do to avoid in the future. I truly do not know. I don't know. But the, it yeah, did I don't happen. know the details. I don't know the details of that story. I mean, the guy who um, did the mass shooting of the, in the mosque in Christchurch in New Zealand, he live streamed the mm-hmm. killing on Facebook Live, which is yeah. horrendous and horrific. Yeah. But like. And people are upset at Facebook about that. They obviously took it down uh, like a minute later or whatever it was, very soon after, as soon as they realized. But like, what could they have possibly, and people blame Facebook, what could they possibly have done to prevent that? Anybody could just turn on their thing and start streaming. And if they're doing something that's that's horrible, how do you blame the, the, the platform? It's just like, it just seems silly to me to, it's just passing the buck and it's like not really addressing the actual issue here. Agreed. Gun control. We are on the same page, Uri. Let's switch topics. Fine. There. No, yes. No. That, that would be a lot more no. productive Uri, to talk Uri, about. Uri, I'm with you, but I feel like we're jumping so quickly from, from A to B to C to D to E. Like, I, I'm, okay, not, I'm confused about what your, I'm confused about what, what your argument is. If, is your argument like, hey, like Facebook is not a thousand percent responsible? Yeah. Agreed. It's more complicated than that. Well, but it, yeah. Facebook does have a certain amount of accountability, I think, here. Yeah, it's obviously a gray area and it's difficult because let's say with, um, you know, uh, anti-vax st- or even better, more a very interesting one that actually Joe Rogan <laughs> talks about a lot. Um, he talks about two things. There was a New York Post article in the, in the immediate lead up to the election. But I think it was about Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son and mm-hmm. his laptop or whatever. And the New York Post published an article Right. Uh, about it, and obviously they're biased. They're they're more they lean more right wing, um, and but it is a mainstream publication. They have some standards, I think. And social media and Facebook was not allowing people to post that article. They would take down posts that had that article, which was a huge, huge move. And similarly, um, for the for a number of months after COVID came out, um, people who posted things about the lab leak theory, the idea that um, the virus uh, originated in a lab in Wuhan, um, whether it was caused, you know, created by man or it was just like harnessed or like captured and then then leaked out of the lab, whatever it was, Facebook and other social media platforms were actively taking down posts talking about that. They wouldn't allow people to post, which again, huge step and super embarrassing for Facebook. People aren't talking about it that much. But now the president and the highest levels, the UN, are talking about that as a real possibility that maybe actually did leak from the lab. And Facebook and other social media platforms didn't let people post that. You could actually say that that could potentially have caused people to lose their lives because if we don't know exactly where it came from, we can't know exactly how to combat it and to prevent the next one. And so, you know, that's kind of going in the other extreme. Is that good? Should Facebook be now, you know, just picking and choosing what they like, what they don't like? Anti-vaxxing is a little bit more complicated. I'm very pro-vaccine. I think vaccines have saved a lot of lives and people who, if by people not taking vaccines, that's potentially risking people's lives. But what about free speech? What about the fact that like, should people be allowed to say, hey, I'm not sure about vaccines? Like, where does it end? I think it's a lot safer to err on the but side again, of free speech. But again, you don't have to use Facebook. There's no such thing as free speech with Facebook. You could do whatever you want. Like, um, yes, Facebook doesn't owe me that's anything. True. That's true. Of, co- of course. But we're talking about Facebook and we're, and we're treating it as a 
platform. Should, if somebody said Facebook, Facebook should actually be regulated, you know, by the government or something, or by because uh, because part of the criticism, the main criticism, is that they're a money making machine, and therefore they're not motivated by free speech per se. They're motivated by money and right. whatever they can do to make the most profit, which on the one hand is not ideal. On the other hand, that's the reality we live in. And if it was run by the government, it would have a, its own problems and issues and, and challenges and, and whatever. So I, I don't really think that's the solution, unless you do. Do you, do you, think, do you think the money thing is, is really at the root of uh, the problem? Uh, sure. I mean, I, I think dev- it's, a, it's, a, it's a company where they're motivated by profits, they're motivated by you know, their shareholders, and I think that's just kind of how it works. But I think the solution is if I don't, the same way you say like, look, I just don't feel comfortable with this Ben and Jerry's decision, so I'm just not going to buy Ben and Jerry's anymore. And I hope enough people do that, that they kind of feel impact with their bottom line. Facebook, I imagine, would act the same way. So I think regulating Facebook feels like I have no idea if that's the right decision. But ultimately, people should respond with their wallets, right? And by by and with their wallets with Facebook, of course, the free product is they shouldn't let Facebook get the advertising revenue and leave Facebook. That's it. Like it feels like pretty right. Well, that's what I was thinking. I mean, nobody has to be using Facebook, and and so that's why it also feels a little bit disingenuous to treat it as like a, a, a staple of life and then say now it must conform to my standards because right. I want to use it. Right. Like, I th- like regulation, I, of course, I, 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 not of course, I am a capitalist, but I very, very strongly do feel like government regulations are, are important, right? Like, I believe in, in not unfettered capitalism, but capitalism with, with some constraints, because otherwise, I think it can be a little bit dangerous. But Same. Facebook, to me, doesn't feel like... There are things that feel problematic. And and I think we're talking about Facebook, but I think there's a larger conversation, right, which is social media generally. You know, there's Twitter, there's Instagram, there's TikTok, all of these things. And none of these things exist in a vacuum, right? All these things are important, even though we think of them differently. Um, Twitter, maybe we think of as the most Facebook adjacent, uh, you know, Twitter and Instagram feel a little bit more fun, quote unquote, you know, but uh, all these things in general, maybe it's just that I don't feel equipped enough. Like, I feel like I don't have the right answers. Um, you know, normally I try to have the right answers about everything. Um, but I think like th- these things are complicated. And like to say Facebook is a little bit at fault feels like, yeah, push it. Yeah, it is a little bit of fault to say like the people who spread misinformation are more at fault. Yeah, the people who spread misinformation are more at fault. The people who read things and then follow through on them without doing their research more, not more than the people yeah. who spread misinformation, so you, but so they're, you they're also with, at fault. Yeah. So you would generally, I lean yeah. towards saying, I lean towards, right, the, 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 the concept of free speech. I lean towards saying, I hope mm-hmm. that people are smart enough and do their own due diligence enough. At the same time, Uri, we both know very smart people who post ridiculous things on Facebook because they have not looked into them. They post ridiculous quotes and then you Google the quote and it was never said by that person, right? Like they, they, right. Do, people do this all the time. Very smart and people, people say do things like this all the time. things because in real life also. A hundred percent. But it, the platform, right? D- the platform exists. So where is people that their can, responsibility? I, I don't know, but I'm saying yeah. it is. if it is human nature that people make these mistakes and then therefore, right, like, you know, the, uh, the Daily did a big episode about uh, misinformation on Facebook as it comes to anti-vaxxers, right? And mm-hmm. uh, apparently, I, I haven't done further research on this. I'm just trusting the Daily. See, I'm, I'm part of the problem. But what, apparently, basically, the vast majority of this misinformation comes from 12 people and or 12 sources. 12 sources are spreading and getting it to millions. So 
the government did all this polling trying to understand anti-vaxxers, like, where are you getting your information from? And basically, the vast majority of them say Facebook. I read articles about it on Facebook. And it's all coming from these very specific sources. So it's not to say, hey, Facebook, we need to shut you down. You are killing people. You are evil. You are all these things. But if I were Facebook, wouldn't I want to kind of change it? Like, this is a big deal. I think Facebook does have some responsibility, yes. But I think... I think bad information needs to be combated with good information and not be shut down because censorship is a very dangerous. I don't road think anyone's saying you should down. shut down Facebook. I was using that as a straw. No, man. shutting no shutting down those posts. Anything that has the word "vax" in it or "anti-vax" or whatever, certain keywords will be taken down in the way that they have done that for the lab leak theory, for that New York Post article. They have there is a precedent. They've done things like that in the past, and I think it's a very dangerous precedent. I mean, Rifki, would you agree with me? Sure, that the, I'm not. The article I'm not disagreeing. <laughs> Would you agree with me that the title of this article is is off or false? That Mark Zuckerberg and Charles Sandberg created history's most dangerous golem. Is Facebook <laughs> the most dangerous thing that ever happened in the in the oh, world? Oh, the most dangerous golem. There haven't been that many golem, golems, you golem. know. Like it's like, like a yeshiva <laughs> boy. I, I, do you know any yeshiva boys who made golems? That sounds really cool and interesting. Uh, maybe that'll come up on an upcoming episode of My Unorthodox Life. I'm My Unorthodox Life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Aaron's gonna make a golem. You know, Aaron's in Frisch. Yes, I do know. That's uh, the, my favorite thing about it. And it literally makes me laugh. Is like I'm. A, I'm. This is a, it's a longer conversation, but I I do find it very funny that especially the the two younger kids very clearly went to modern Orthodox schools, and yet there's all this conversation about the fundamentalism and the extremism. I'm like that literally does not exist in the institutions. Well, that's that a you're big in. part of the so, um, critique of the show is that they're turning it for for the sake of the story. They're calling them their background fundamentalist, even though it wasn't really. I mean, it could be that the way she grew I don't up know. is very different, but like if More he's right in Frisch. And like the, well, you no, know, but the, the, apparently the Frisch thing was a compromise between the, the parents that he would have otherwise gone to a more yeshivish place, but the compromise was that he'll go to a, a co-ed uh, modern Orthodox year alma mater. Sure, but but either way, like it's you know, yeah, it, yeah. it's. I also think it's funny that like uh, Isaac Herzog was uh, just elected the president of Israel right a few weeks ago, and he's like a mm-hmm. proud alum of Ramaz. And right. Naftali Bennett, proud alum of Yavna, and Yavna. and we well, get our own. He was there for a couple of years. Right. Okay. Fine. We get we get Jared own. Kushner, and we get we get I'll my unorthodox life child. Oi. I'll take. I mean, both of I'm sure they're both lovely people. I mean, that's not. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, either I, I, agree, I don't want to make any assumptions here. about it. here, Jared Kushner, lovely person. Everyone's a lovely person. People are complicated. Okay. I'm sure if I had a 15 minute conversation with Jared about Jacob Steinmetz, we would have plenty plenty in common. Mm. My little one, Aaron. He's not talking to girls. He broke up with his girlfriend. People try to be like, why don't you loosen up a little? And like, that's not me. It takes time to deprogram yourself. Anyway, as always, <laughs> there's so much more to discuss, but we have to end the conversation here. For all of you out there, we want to hear your thoughts. Please, please, please join the conversation on our Facebook page, Talking Tachas Podcast. And of course, shoot us an email, Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Drive-In Productions. They are the sponsor of this week's episode. And thank you to Triple Threat Trio featuring Rage Brigade. They're the official band of Talking Topless. Bye, everyone. Zagazoom. Zagazoom.